0: that we might grow to be complete in Christ. A couple of thousand years ago, a man named Cicero penned this thought. Gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent of all of the others. Let me say that again. Gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent of all the others. Gratitude. The dictionary defines gratitude as a feeling of appreciation or thanks. It also defines virtues as conformity to a standard of right, that is, morality, or having morally good behavior or character. According to Cicero, then, being appreciative and thankful is the greatest of these virtues. Being appreciative of one's surroundings or possessions or one's position is the greatest of virtues. But let us not miss the mark here by overlooking the focus on virtues. Being appreciative means possessing and displaying morally good behavior, being moral, of good character, someone to look up to, and someone whom we can emulate having these moral persuasions, living according to these high standards of behavior and moral purity, why this is the beginning of parenthood and the wellspring, the seed that produces gratitude in the heart of any man or woman. What is not clear to me from Cicero's pronouncement, however, is what we ought to be grateful for. So for all of our appreciation for the tremendous displays of morality that can be displayed or our gratitude unbounded, What do we have to do? What indeed are we grateful for? There is still one key element missing, I suggest to you, a clear absence of one very crucial dimension. You know what that is. you're right Cicero clearly missed the most important dimension in his acknowledgement and much celebrated wisdom it would seem that he ignored the spiritual dimension I wonder if this was on purpose or did he rule it out as inconsequential and irrelevant to his readers and his many students of the day I haven't bothered to research the belief system adopted by Cicero. He lived a long time ago, and while we still refer to him and his theories and prognostications, I am still of the opinion that he ignored the spiritual dimension in the quotation being addressed today. Gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent of all the others, he said. One can find some relevance, of course, in the Christian disciplines of virtuous living, common To all faiths and acknowledged by most civilized cultures around the world, people unfamiliar with the often subtle differences may well falter in these grasps of truth. It all sounds so very good, and actually we would all do well to practice such wisdom in our everyday lives. Being grateful is an honorable and appreciated characteristic for anyone to aspire toward but it does nothing to advance us toward our heavenly calling. Without minimizing the worth of a grateful and thankful life, and we should all have this as a life's goal, our first and foremost objective should be to find God and to be grateful for him and for the salvation that he has made available to all of us freely through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Having been born from above with Christ as our Savior, one can then be adequately positioned to be grateful and thankful. With this message for today, here is Senior Pastor Emeritus
1: Alan Lee. Greetings once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are continuing with our focus on the signs of the times and our emphasis that we are now actually living in the times that the signs which were so accurately predicted by Christ, the prophets, and the apostles. Only a person who refuses to see and sticks their head in the proverbial sand will not acknowledge this. Prophecy, my friends, is being fulfilled daily and at a faster pace than ever before. Whether you believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, as I do, or believe that Christians will be witnesses to the full tribulation, wrath, and final judgments of God does not matter. The beginning of birth pains, that Jesus calls birth pangs, and the signs of the times should have the same effect on all of us. It should motivate us to share the gospel with as many people as we possibly can, especially our loved ones, in order to win them to Jesus Christ in the time that we have left. And as the Apostle Peter says, it should also motivate us to live godly lives and to live in a righteous way. In fact, to give ourselves to seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness as top priority and to be more heavenly-minded than being worldly-minded and concerned with things that are temporal rather than those that are eternal. I say again, if there ever was a wake-up call to be godly, it is today. Now, it's important for us to understand what we are talking about here because of the urgency of the times. In previous message, if you recall, if you listened to us, We have paid special attention to Jesus' predictions concerning a wholesale and perversive falling away from the Word of God and the activities of false teachers, false prophets, and even false Christ. We have pointed out that we are living in an age of spiritual deception and spiritual counterfeit of the Word of God and of the churches of Jesus Christ. The so-called evangelical church is rapidly abandoning the Word of God for the Word of man and seeking to build the church on new humanistic, human vision-driven foundation, rather than on the foundation of Jesus Christ and his apostles. Many pastors and self-proclaimed prophets are boldly declaring that the scriptures are not relevant to today's progressive, technological, evolutionistic, persuaded generation. They say we need new revelation that only modern-day prophets can give. Friends, this is sheer nonsense and is, in fact, an abandonment of the faith that was once for all the positive to the saints, just as predicted by Jesus Christ and his apostles. Listen, for instance, to the words of the apostle Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Quote, The Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith. That's the word of God paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines taught by demons. By means of hypocrisy of liars, said in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from fruits which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. End of quote. What a precise and accurate description of of what is taking place in the name of Christ, in the name of Christianity, and in the name of the church in the days in which we are now living. Now, in our last message, we looked at Scripture to see how we are instructed and exhorted to respond to false teachers and the teaching, and saw so that we are commanded, first of all, to avoid those who have embraced false teachings, and secondly, we warn such people, and then if they do not heed, to ultimately reject those who are false teachers. We are not to support them, the apostle says, either financially or prayerfully, and not even entertain them in our homes. So you see, Paul is extremely clear on how we are to treat those who either teach or are living according to false teachings. He says we are not to try to make peace with or embrace this kind of person or teaching. God calls us, in fact, to separate from people who say they are Christians but are following false teaching, especially those who deny the deity of Christ by teaching, for instance, that he was not the Son of God on the cross while yet claiming that he is God. I say again, They teach that Jesus ceased being the Son of God on the cross because he bore our sins in his own body. Friends, that's heretical teaching. And yet it is embraced by many today who do not even try to discern what popular and well-known preachers are actually teaching. Paul's admonition may seem pretty severe, but it is what God clearly calls us to do if we are to take the words of Scripture seriously. And we should because it is the word of God. And that is what is at stake here. The veracity and truthfulness of the word of God. As someone else has so pointedly said, and I quote, The truth matters to God. End of quote. Listen to another quote from another Bible teacher. Quote, It sure sounds like God is calling us to be very careful about the truth that the Bible teaches. It sure sounds like God is calling us to study the truth, the word of God. Then set careful boundaries around this truth so we will know when someone has crossed over a boundary into a lie or false teaching. It sure sounds like God is then calling us to deal strongly with those who are leading others astray. Now why would God call us to be so harsh and judgmental? Why would God call us to take a stand for truth as if truth was not relative to the holder, but existed objectively, transcending all of us. God calls his children to study, to understand, and then to defend the truth, because the truth does matter to God. Friends, listen carefully. Faith in and of itself is not what God is looking for. We need to understand that. Faith, I say, is not in and of itself valuable or capable of saving us. It's not enough to be sincere or intense. Faith in and of itself has no magical power. It's faith in the truth, in the word of God that matters to God. It's faith that has been placed into the correct and true God of the universe that matters to God. That's why God is so particular And calls us to have an accurate understanding of who God is. And that's why God has called us to treat heresy very seriously. End of quote. And friends, that's why I am so passionate about being accurate in preaching and teaching the word of God. To say that God says something and he does not say it is using the name of God in vain. It is making God out to be a liar. Remember this. We are only teaching and proclaiming the word of God when we do so accurately. If we are not, then we are not only using the name of God in vain and turning our word into the word of God, but we are also turning ourselves into little gods. This is why Paul is so passionate and even livid when he says that the mouths of such teachers must be stopped. This is also why he just as passionately instructs all pastors and teachers to preach the word, not one's own big ideas and philosophies or concocted visions and dreams that originate in one's own mind rather than from the Spirit of God. My friends, the world has ended. the church today wholesale. Pastors have substituted the pulpit for a stage. The word of God for personal vision casting that calls, for instance, for members to commit allegiance to fulfilling the pastor's personal vision rather than fulfilling the great commission as commanded by Jesus Christ. They are encouraging people to become their disciples rather than the disciples of Jesus Christ. Members are made to believe that numbers are more important than holiness, profession than possession. They are taught how to induce converts through emotional manipulation and stage-rigging sensationalism. In today's churches, many times you see the pastor instructing the musicians to come to a crescendo as his message comes to a prepared climatic ending. It is all designed to set the stage, they say, for the Holy Spirit to move in their midst, as though he needs such man-made gimmicks to work. Today, the singers and soloists do not minister anymore. They perform. Worship services has become Hollywood-style concerts. If there's no applause, there'll be no singing. In fact, if there's no applause, there wouldn't even be preaching. These are all signs of the itching era in which we are living, all in keeping with the Word of God and the signs of the times. Let me ask you then, let me ask you very, very seriously, In keeping with the word of God, are you being fed with the pure word of God by which God has provided us to live by? Or are you feeding on the junk food of false teachers who say there is no need to preach the cross of Christ today because people don't want to hear such a bloody message? That's amazing, isn't it? Because when Paul went to the Corinthians, he said that the only thing he was concerned about was the preaching of the cross, nothing else. But today we have preachers saying that that message is out of date. Nobody want to hear about a bloody cross any longer. People, they say, want to hear about being children of the king, enjoying the wealth and health of the kingdom. My friends, if you are in such a situation, you need to seek greener pastures, where you are fed by the good shepherd, the pure word of God. He provides the kind of spiritual nourishment that causes us to become like him, Christ-like. Now, let me close once again with the words of the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3, beginning at verse 9. Listen carefully now. This is the word of God, God speaking to us. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance." But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Listen carefully now to the application, verse 11. Quote, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, here's the application again. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. That's holiness of life and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of things, in which some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, those are false teachers, as they do also the rest of scripture, to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, Knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. End of quote. That second be chapter 3, verses 9 through 18. This is a powerful passage of scripture. And in a later message, we'll do a detailed exposition of it because it speaks so directly to us today. But we'll have to end here for today. As always, this is Senior Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee saying, "Sila, think and act on these things.
0: Address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as Echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout. Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon.
2: they forevermore to stay. Little longer in your struggle over sin. Trust the great commander's promise he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. will be
1: over, all
2: our sorrow and its pain. It could happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again.